Whenever I read the word temple in the Bible, I think of the physical building that stood in Jerusalem where the priests and the Levites conducted the sacrifices thousands of years ago. But like everything else in history, Jesus redefined the temple. The religious leaders were confused about it. So we're in good company. Let's try to understand it better. Welcome, Bible nerds. I'm David Jesse. I believe that understanding the Bible in its historic, geographic, religious, and cultural context helps us see Jesus more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly day by day. Everybody knows that the Old Testament temple was a building, right? Welcome to Bible Nerds Daily. Thank you so much for listening. Every weekday, I share with you a verse of the day that is designed to help you become a better follower of Christ. So if you're encouraged and you're challenged by this podcast, uh, please uh, take some time to share it with your family and your friends. Follow the show on your favorite podcast app. We wouldn't want you or them to miss a single episode. Okay, so what if the holiest place on earth is where you're sitting right now? today is Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I've heard lots of worship leaders and pastors quote this verse in describing what it means to attend church on Sunday morning. Uh, the idea both is and isn't correct. The house of the Lord isn't a church building. We know that. It's the people of God gathered together. But what if I told you that the Old Testament temple wasn't a building either? When God led Israel out of their bondage in Egypt, they had never experienced the divine presence, but God wanted to dwell in their midst. And so he had Israel construct a tent of meeting, also called a tabernacle. And this was much more than just a location for worship. It is a place where God himself chose to dwell. It says in Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Moses wasn't able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. But when the cloud was lifted up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on all their journeys. If the cloud was not lifted up, they would not journey farther until the day it was lifted up. For the cloud of Yahweh was on the tabernacle by day, but fire would be on it at night, in plain view of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Israel couldn't just approach the tabernacle. It was a dangerous place. They had to be both ritually and morally 
clean, the Ark of the Covenant, with its mercy seat, which is the literal throne of Yahweh on earth, rested inside this tent of meeting. This is the place where God dwelled on earth. Now, as amazing as the tabernacle was, it was insufficient. The uh, people did not properly worship Yahweh and dwell in his presence as he desired and intended for them to do. Eventually, the Ark of the Covenant, again, the very throne of Yahweh on earth, is used as a good luck charm in the battle against the Philistines. It's captured. It's taken away. The Shiloh tabernacle is left in disrepair. Everything falls apart. But then King David, the man after God's own heart, he comes and he understands the importance of Israel being able to dwell in the presence of Yahweh. And so he goes and he gets the Ark of the Covenant. He brings it back to Jerusalem. But something really interesting takes place. I think we miss a lot of the time. David constructs a tabernacle there, a tent there, but it's not the tent from the Exodus story. This is a different tent. Um, In it is housed the Ark of the Covenant, and the priests and the Levites offer sacrifices in it. But the difference is it's open to all of Israel. All of the nation of Israel is free to come and worship Yahweh and to see his presence in the tent of David or the tabernacle of David. David even sets up priests to worship at all times. This is a very different experience than the tabernacle with the Holy of Holies that the priest only enters into one time per year. This is open worship for all people to be in in the presence of Yahweh. And as amazing as this is, we still see David wanting to build a physical location for the presence of Yahweh. First Chronicles 17, David goes to Yahweh through the prophet Nathan and says, let me build a house for you. Don't miss the amazing twist in this chapter because Yahweh's response to David is to turn the tables. He says, no, let me build a house for you. And he begins to talk about David's dynasty like um, a Game of Thrones type promise. Your house, the house of David, will be um, on the throne constantly uh, for all generations. Why is he saying this in reference to the temple? It's because the house of David is where the presence of God is going to come and physically dwell on earth again. But Yahweh, in his mercy and his grace and his understanding, allows David to begin the preparations for a physical temple on this earth. Solomon, his son, constructs it. It's breathtaking. But over the centuries, the same corruption happens to this temple that happened to the tabernacle. It is left in disrepair. It is um, pagan worship is practiced in it. And in Ezekiel 10, we see that Yahweh's glory departs. The word Ichabod, the Hebrew word, the glory has departed, is how the temple is described. God's presence no longer dwells in this physical building, and it never returns 
in the way that we experience in the Hebrew scriptures. Even with the rebuilding of the temple by Zerubbabel and later Herod's temple, the Ark of the Covenant isn't present and neither is the Shekinah glory of God. But then we get to this amazing story of Jesus in the temple. God with us, Emmanuel, is walking in the temple courts and he cleanses it and he's confronted by the religious leaders asking him why he feels like he has the permission and the authority to do this. And Jesus responds and says, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. The religious leaders have no idea what he's talking about. His own disciples don't understand this. In, in, in fact, it doesn't make any sense until after the resurrection. Jesus is the Rosetta Stone that unlocks the meaning of the temple. Jesus teaches his disciples and the religious leaders that the temple of God is not a building made by hands or a tent in the wilderness. It is wherever the manifest presence of God dwells. So while Jesus is alive on this earth, he is the temple. But then he ascends and he goes back into heaven. And this is why we see in Acts chapter 2 and in 1 Corinthians 6, we see this idea of the Holy Spirit coming and building a temple for God to dwell in. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2. He says that he that, that God is, is building each one of us living stones together with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone into a dwelling place for God on earth. We are the temple. All of us individually filled with the Holy Spirit and collectively when we come together are the dwelling place of God on earth. But the story doesn't end there. We see in Revelation that there is a new temple that will be constructed. Uh, we see images of it both on heaven, in heaven and on earth. In heaven, it is a place where God's judgment is poured out. On earth, it's a place of conflict. The presence of God is there, but it is a place where God's presence is going to cleanse all of humanity. And the end of the story is the best part of the story. When we get to Revelation chapter 21, there is no more temple. For God physically dwells with mankind. It says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because Yahweh, God Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The amazing truth is that we are the temple today, that we are the place where the almighty God of heaven and earth dwells on earth. This is chilling. This should change how we live. This should change how we think about each other. For the Christian, our very lives are holy ground. it's really important for us today to think of the temple as more than just us individually. Each of us are being built together into a spiritual house with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. This is the church. 
But the church isn't something created in the New Testament. It's time we put that myth to death. We'll do that tomorrow. What if I told you that one of the foremost Orthodox Jewish scholars of our day believes that Jesus fits perfectly into the religious expectations of first century Judaism? Uh, If you want to learn more about this, pick up the Jewish Gospels, the story of the Jewish Christ by Daniel Boyerine. There's a link for it in the show notes. You can find it there. encourages you and challenges you, please pay it forward. Check out the ministry of One Child and consider supporting a child there. One Child brings hope to hard places by helping children around the world who are facing extreme poverty. You can bring food, medicine, education, and much more importantly, the gospel to children who wouldn't have it otherwise. Please consider sponsoring a child. There's a link to learn more in the show notes. have rocked my theological world more than coming to understand that the church isn't something developed in the New Testament. In fact, the church is just another way to describe Israel. Let's talk about that tomorrow. For now, go read your Bible.